We're going to be back in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, and as you're turning there, <clears throat> I'd like to say a thank you so much again, as Shirley's already said it, but on behalf of Chastity and I, thank you. Um, we did celebrate 25 years of uh, marriage in, in June, uh, June the 7th, actually, and um, due to circumstances, we didn't get to celebrate until last week, but uh, we were so honored, and we are... Um, we're just, we know, we feel so loved, and we are so thankful for y'all. Um, there's no way that we can express to you just exactly how much we love you and how much we appreciate you all so much. But um, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for everything that you, that you do for us and for the way that you love us. <clears throat> also, if you would this morning, I'd ask you to remember in your prayers, Brother Gerald Young, um, uh, Miss Sue was telling me and Miss Tara was telling me that Brother Gerald is... Um, is just not doing real good. His um his heart um he's been wearing a monitor for the last month and he's still building his outhouses. If y'all know Mr. Gerald, he's he's still doing what he does, but his heart seems to be actually worse than what it was before the surgery. And he had a triple bypass, and so um uh, just just really needs your prayers. So if y'all would please remember Mr. Mr. Gerald Young and we'll pray for him here in just a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 6, <clears throat> you don't have to stand this morning. You've already stood earlier, but I'd like to read the, I'd like to read it if it's all right. So just go along with me. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple, and above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two He covered His face. With two he covered his feet, and with two wings he flew. And one of the seraphim called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And even though a tenth will remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again we come to You this morning and we just give You thanks. God, we give You thanks for who You are. The great, 
the good and gracious King. And Father, I pray this morning that You would help us to to truly see You. Father, I pray that You would just give us a glimpse of Your sovereignty, Your majesty, Your your holiness, God. Father, I pray that You would forgive us where we fail to see it. And Father, there is no fault in You. You've surrounded us with Your glory, Father. There is no excuse that we can give. But Father, I ask that You would forgive us and that You would open our eyes and that You would let us see, God. That You would let us hear from You. And Father, I pray, God, that we would, as Isaiah is, forever be changed because of what we see and what we hear. So Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to accomplish this this morning. Father, I pray this morning for Brother Gerald, as we've already mentioned him, God. And I just ask You that, um, Lord, You would just continue to, to be with him, to hold him up. Father, You are his life support. Father, I just pray, God, that, Lord, if it be Your will, that You would continue to, 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 to sustain His life, Father. And Lord, I pray, God, that You would, uh, Lord, give Him comfort in His body. Father, I pray that He would be able to, to live out the rest of His days peacefully, if it be Your will. And Father, more important than any of that, I pray that You would give him and Miss Sue faith to trust You. Father, I pray that through this time, Father, that this would be a time that they draw closer to You than they have ever been. And Father, I pray that this would be a time, Lord, that they learn to trust You even when things look the darkest, God. And so, Father, I pray that You would just be with them, God. Father, we love You. We praise You, God. And we ask You to do these things for us. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. So you remember from last week, if you were here, that we were talking about the vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6. And ultimately, you might remember that Isaiah chapter 1 through 5 has been a, um, it's been a, a, a list of charges that God has brought against His people. And ultimately, He has accused them of forsaking Him. He has accused them of, um, of, of enjoying life and things being so well for them that they have forgotten the One that has blessed them and has done for them. And instead, they have begun to pursue uh, worship of created things and worship of, of idols. And they were following um, leaders of other nations. And so they were just slowly but surely turning away from everyday trust in God. And they were turning toward everyday trust in the world and the things of the world. That's how you sum it up. All right? And ultimately, they get to live in a land that... Um, you, you might remember I read verse 1, it said this happened in the year that King Uzziah died, okay? Uzziah was a good king, a very good king. Fifty-two years this king uh, served the nation of Judah well. And he actually saw it restored to its heydays back in the days of David and Solomon. I mean, he the, the kingdom had never seen uh, prosperous days like they had seen under the reign of King Uzziah. And then King Uzziah dies. And ultimately, Isaiah has to learn that even though King Uzziah was a good king and God used him to do all these things, ultimately, it doesn't matter if Uzziah is on the throne or he's not on the throne. Why does it not matter? Because the king of kings is still on the throne. No matter who's in leadership or who is not. And He can use each and every one 
a human leader that is on the throne of any kind to fulfill his purpose in any way that he sees fit. He always has and he always will until the day that he comes and reigns as king over everything once and for all. But he has to show Isaiah this vision because ultimately what's happened is in this 52 years of reign, the nation has become so prosperous that instead of praying daily that, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, instead of looking to the Lord for their safety and their security every day, instead of worshiping and serving Him and Him alone, they had begun to forsake Him, they had begun to forget Him. Oh, they were still coming to church, just like we're here this morning. They were still worshiping. But the fact of the matter is, the life outside of church showed that they were slowly but surely walking away from the one true God. And so ultimately, God has to step in and show them that you are putting your trust and your faith in all of the wrong things. And so in chapter 3, as we looked at a few weeks ago, He takes away their leaders and He puts bad leaders in their place, immature leaders, childish leaders. He takes away their, their food and their supply and their water and He gives them famine and He gives them drought. He starts taking away all the prospering that they have enjoyed. And ultimately they begin to look and see that something is not right. And so Isaiah here has been preaching in chapters 1 through 5 about, guys, this is what's going on. This is what God is doing and it is the judgment of God on our nation from forsaking Him. But then whenever we get to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah learns something. Isaiah learns that it's not just the nation that he pronounces woes on, because he does in chapters 1 through 5. He says, woe to you who do this, who call evil good and, and good evil, and woe to you who... And then he gets to chapter 6 and he says, Whoo, it's not just the nation that needs a woe pronounced on. Woe is me, for I am undone. And ultimately Isaiah learns that even he himself is a sinner and as, as much as he loves God, he is slowly but surely trusting in things other than God. How does he know it? King Uzziah is dead. And what do you think is going through Isaiah's mind right now? Oh no, what are we going to do? And I hate to keep Americanizing this text because I know this text is not ultimately about America, but how many of you know that we see the same thing taking place in our culture today? So it very well applies to us. I truly believe that we're seeing God judge us as a nation right now and has been for some time. I believe we're seeing God take away good leaders and install bad, immature, childish leaders. Can I get an amen on that? I believe that we are, we're seeing uh, things like food shortages and famines and droughts. And I, I truly believe that we're beginning to see just small glimpses of the judgment of God on the nation of America who at one time was founded upon His principles and seeking Him and serving Him. And yet, slowly but surely, we've enjoyed this prosperous reign for so long that now our attention is on everything else instead of on Him. And that's me included. You know, I um, we haven't had rain in a while until last night. I, and I was getting scared. I mean, I'll be honest with you. My, the cows is out in the pasture, and I've done... Our cows are pets. Now, we're not really farmers. We just got some pets out there, all right? 
But I was thinking to myself, before I feed hay to these cows to try to get them through a summer, I'm going to sell these rascals and just rebuy them. And some of the rest of the family wasn't too happy to hear about that because, again, they're more than just cows to the family. They are, they're pets. They got names. They go out and they pet them and they love on them and all this stuff. Well, to me, they're an ear tag. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know most of them's names. I just know a number. That's what I know. So my thought process was, well, I'll just sell these cows and when it comes, things get better, we'll buy some more cows. But I knew that that was going to be an issue. And so I hadn't really gave it a whole lot of thought. And just to be honest with you, hadn't even really prayed and asked God for rain. Just thinking to myself, here's what I'm going to do if it don't rain. Yesterday, though, I was trying to figure out a way, and it's going to sound funny to y'all, some of y'all's farmers, but I was trying to figure out a way to put sprinklers out in my pasture just to see if I could get something going. And it's going to take so much, I didn't have the capacity to do it. But anyway, long story short, uh, yesterday... I think we, uh, I just prayed all day yesterday for rain and then sitting at the dinner table uh, whenever we were eating lunch. Me and Chassie was praying over our food and I just prayed over the food and asked God. I said, God, we, we really need some rain. You know, if you could just bless us with some rain. I know we don't deserve it, but God, we, we need rain. And then last night on the way, Chassie was on her way home. Well, she called me. And um, it wasn't raining where she was at, but it was coming a flood at our house. And Chastity called me as she was fixing to pass the church right here, and um, she uh, she had to ask me a question. I don't remember what it was, but um, she, yeah, supper ready, something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, she called me, and um, I said, "Baby, it's pouring down rain here." And she said, "I think I'm gonna cry." And I said, "Why? Why, why are you cry?" She said, "Well, I was just praying and just pleading with God. God, please." Please send us some rain. And, um, and sure enough, uh, several times last night, we got a lot of good rain last night. I, I pray y'all did too, but I know we, we did, and so I'm, I'm so thankful for it. But I, it's just funny. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. How many days have I went as a pastor knowing the one who makes the rain? And yet day after day, I never take the time to stop and just say, Lord, we need some rain. Father, could you please bless us with some rain? Now, does that mean that God's going to send rain every time? I'm not trying to be that kind of preacher this morning. But I am saying that we have lost our dependence on God for the things that we need in our life, and we've learned to depend on ourselves and on our, on our own means. I was trying to figure out ways other than praying to the rainmaker of how to make it rain. You see what I'm saying? And so ultimately what we do is that... And you remember whenever the children of Israel were in the wilderness and, um, and God told them, He said, I'm going to send manna from heaven and you're going to go out in the morning and collect it. You remember what He said? Don't collect, but enough for how long? One day. Why? Because God wants us day after day praying and depending on Him, understanding this, that Lord, we need You to give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we need You to give us this day our breath that we breathe. Lord, we need You this day to protect our families and to, and to make us a, a nation that follows You. And Lord, and instead, we're backwards. 
The truth of the matter is we spend more time trying to elect good politicians than we do looking to the Lord saying, God, we need You. We need You to turn us around. We need You to give us what we need in here. And so again, we're in this mindset of, God, I'll figure this out on our own. I know what we need to do for You, God. Right? Instead of daily dependence on Him to say, Lord, unless You do it, we have no hope. And Isaiah has to be reminded of that. That even though he is... Some believe that he may have been a priest because he was in the temple, or at least many think he was in the temple when he had this vision. He could could have just had a vision of the temple. He may not have necessarily been there. But there are many believe that Isaiah was a, a scribe of some kind, a priest maybe. And so Isaiah was a very religious man. We know he was a preacher, right? And yet, Isaiah has this vision of God and he realizes, Whoa! is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King. And ultimately, what I want us to understand this morning is that you and I need to have a fresh vision of the King of Kings. And if we will, and we can, I'm going to tell you how here in a few minutes, if we will, you will be changed forever. You will be different in the way that you worship. You will be different in the way that you pray. You will be different in the way that, you, that, that, you, that we preach the Word of God and teach the Word of God. Everything changes whenever we see the King in His true glory. So, not to re-preach last week's message, but let me go through them real quick. In verse 1, we saw God's sovereignty. Isaiah got to see the supreme ruler. The Bible tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And I told you last week, that is the word Adonai. It's the Hebrew word Adonai that means the supreme ruler. The sovereign one. The one from whom not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from His will. Not a hair of your head falls off, all you bald fellers out there. Not a hair of your head falls off, apart from the will of our Heavenly Father. So if you're bald this morning, take it up with Him. It's all on Him, All right. But the bottom line is that God truly is sovereign. See, We look at our nation and we look at things that are going on right now in our American culture and we think that things are just out of control, don't we? Can I tell you this morning, nothing is out of control. Not a thing. Now God has given us over to debased minds and He has allowed us to have our own way. And how many of you know as parents, sometimes you got to do that to your children, don't you? Sometimes you got to say, okay, I've tried to warn you, I've tried to teach you, but you know what, if this is the way you're going to do it, then guess what? Here you go. And sometimes you have to learn how to live with your decisions. And ultimately, I believe that's what God has done to us as a nation, is He has allowed us to go our own way, and now we're seeing the results of it. But know this, God has not lost control. He is still in absolute full control. 
He is the sovereign King. He is the Lord and He is on His throne. It doesn't matter if Biden is on the throne or who's on the throne. The truth of the matter is, whether we like it or not, God put Him there. God raises them up and God sets them down. I can prove that to you. If you want to see me after church, I'll preach you that message, All right. But that's exactly what He does. He is in full control. The next thing we see in verse 2, we see God's majesty or overwhelming greatness. And so what we see is that in this day and time, royalty uh, displayed their status and who they were by the, by the, the, the splendor of their garments that they wore. And so when Isaiah looks at this king, he sees a king who has a robe that fills the entire temple with just the train of it. In other words, if the robe and the, king, the, the, the train of this robe fills the entire temple so that nothing else can be in there, then how great is the king of this robe? And so what we see here is majesty, overwhelming greatness. His throne is high and lifted up. In other words, it is above every other throne that has ever been or ever will be. He is majestic in all of His ways. And then in verses 2 through 4, we got to see God's holiness. In other words, He is set apart from everything else. As we see these massive, sinless angels, the seraphim, the Bible actually um, refers to them in the Hebrew term as the burning ones. That they're literally consumed with fire. And how appropriate is that to be in the presence of the God who is a consuming fire? According to Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is. Our God is a consuming fire, and yet in His presence serving Him are two seraphim that the Bible says are standing above Him. Now, not in status, but in physical appearance, the way God has made these creatures is that they stand above His throne. And yet, as massive as they are, yet as sinless as they are, they have never sinned. And yet, even still, in their beauty, in their majesty, they have six wings, and with two they cover their eyes, and with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly, and they cry to one another in a voice that shakes the foundation with their worship. And they cry to one another as they look at the glory of God and they say, holy, holy, holy. In other words, when they see the king, it changes the way they worship to the point that the foundations of the temple tremble and shake. When's the last time our worship shook anything? You know why? Because we don't see him for who he is. And you know how they saw it? They got their eyes covered. You know how they saw it? He said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. In other words, when they looked at the moon, the stars, the earth, and all of creation, and His His full sovereign control over everything that takes place in this world, what we like to call science, right? When the angels look at His creation and all that He has done, they look at it and they say, Wow, there is no one like this King. 
There is no ruler. There is no God. There is only one God and we worship Him right here, right now for His holiness. And this is what we get to see. And so think about this vision that Isaiah had. I ain't making this up. You can see it. Isaiah gets to see the sovereignty of God. Isaiah gets to see the majesty of God. Isaiah gets to see the holiness of God. And as a result of that, there are three things that happen. The first thing that happens, go with me to verse 5. He said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's what you need to understand. When you recognize God for who He is, when you see Him in all of His splendor and glory, you recognize who you are. See, right now we think we're pretty good people, don't we? Somebody were to ask you today, they say, hey, do you consider yourself to be a good person? I mean, what would you say? Well, yeah. I mean, not in prison and not out doing this and doing that. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Isaiah thought he was too. But when he saw God in His sovereignty, and when he saw God in His majesty, and when he saw God in His holiness, and when he saw that he didn't put his complete faith and trust in Him, didn't worship Him for those things. He saw himself for who he is, and he looked at himself, and there wasn't but one thing he could do, pronounce a curse on himself. He said, woe is me. See, that word woe was a, was a word that was used to pronounce a curse on someone. And so Jesus did it to the Pharisees. He said, woe to the scribes and Pharisees who who lay such heavy burdens on the people and yet won't lift a single one of them with their pinky finger. In other words, a curse is coming their way. And Isaiah, when he sees God in all of His splendor, when he sees the King of kings, he looks at himself and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm lost. And you know, you and I are to be able to do the same thing today. And we have no excuse. Romans chapter 1 verse um, 20. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this. It says that although they knew God, because His invisible attributes are clearly seen in the things that are created, He said they knew Him, they refused to honor Him, they refused to worship Him, they refused to acknowledge Him, and as a result of that, they are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Because they see Him clearly. I told you this last week and I'm going to tell you again. We have gotten too used to the Creator. There it is. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In other words, all you have to do is look at creation. Kids, y'all listen to me who are in school. When you go to science class, It shouldn't be about trying to disprove God. It should be about looking at it and making you say, wow, look at God. Look at how God designed this and how God designed that. And look at how this works and this works. And look at how um, these things operate together. And 
and, and just look at the way the human body is and look at the way the sun does for all life on creation and look at what the moon does for, for weather patterns and all these different things. And w- what you should do is be able to look at the creation of the world and see the invisible attributes of God. His eternal power. You should be able to see His divine nature. And it should be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that what? What's that last part say? Folks, even though we've not had a vision like Isaiah had, you better believe you've seen the glory of God. Anybody in here ever had your child for the first time? Remember looking in that baby's eyes or that grandbaby? Life. And you look at it, you are without excuse for not being able to see the glory of God. And what we need to see here is that you and I have had a vision of the glory of God in the same way that Isaiah did really. We get to see it through the Word of God. We get to see His attributes and all about Him and what He requires and where we have failed. We see the glory of God in so many different ways and yet what do we do? We go out here and we worship the creature and the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And you and I are no different than what we're seeing take place in Judah right now. And ultimately, when we see Him in all of His glory, or what glory we can see, and again, this has just become too normal for us. You wake up every day and the sun's shining in the sky, and you just get up and you think this is just a normal day. That's supposed to happen everywhere in, in creation. You get up and you take a breath. And you act like that's just something I'm supposed to do every day. And what you don't understand is if God don't give it, you don't take it. And so what we have here is an utter forsaking on our part of the God of all creation, the King of kings. And yet in His mercy and His grace, He keeps giving us more and more time to repent and come back to Him. And so what we see in this is that even though we see God in all of His glory, we're not like Isaiah yet because we haven't seen enough of it because we don't look at ourselves as, woe is me, I'm lost. And let me tell you something, I know, not like I should, but I know this morning that apart from the mercy and grace of this good and gracious King, I am lost. I am undone. And I deserve the worst of the worst punishment that there is for my sin. And so Isaiah recognizes that he has to receive mercy in his life. I'm a sinner and I I have no hope. But notice what he says at the end of verse 5. For my eyes have seen the King. I have seen Him, and as a result of that, I know. I know that I am undone, but I believe that He's the King. You remember what Jesus said, um, or what Paul said about Jesus in Romans chapter 10? He said, if we will confess Jesus is what? Lord. 
Adonai and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead. Why? Because that's the evidence that His blood has been accepted as our payment, as atonement for our sins. So in other words, if we confess that He is supreme King of all, and if we believe in our heart that God has atoned for our sin through the sacrifice that He has made, we will be saved and receive mercy. And this is exactly what happens to Isaiah. He confesses, my eyes have seen the King. He is the King. Not Uzziah, not anyone else. He alone is King. And then he confesses, I'm a sinner, and unless he atones for my sin, I'm lost and I'm undone. And look what happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And again, the altar here is just a representation of where the atonement is made. And he takes a a tongue with a burning coal and he flies to Isaiah and he touches his mouth and he says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. I love these two things right here. Christians, listen to me. (laughs) When you trust the Lord to save you from your sin and you see Him for who He is, the Bible says your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. My guilt is taken away. Isaiah no longer needs to feel guilty for this. God has said, I declare you not guilty. And I have taken your guilt away and I have atoned for your sin. And this came through the faith that he had in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we see that Isaiah gets to experience the mercy of God. And then the last thing, we'll stop with this right here. Isaiah gets to experience the service of God. And so what we see in the last part is God commissions someone. But look at what happens in verse 8. And I I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? (laughs) Now, did God not know who was going? He's sovereign, right? Did not God not know who He's going to send? Is He really asking Isaiah, Hey, um, do you know anybody? I'm looking, for a, I'm looking for a good candidate for this job. No. This is a rhetorical question, if you will. But in Isaiah's presence, he says, Huh, who, who could we send? And who could go for us to serve us? Now what's beautiful about this is that Isaiah has not yet heard the job description, guys. Now how many of you, before you step up and say, hey, I'll do it, you'd at least like to know what it is that they're asking you to do, right? Isaiah has not yet heard the job description. But let me tell you what changes in you when you see the king and you have, uh, for all of his glory, his sovereignty, his majesty, his mercy, when you experience that mercy, you know what happens? In your heart, you don't care what it is. You say, Lord, (laughs) let me serve you. There is no greater service to be in than your service. There is no better kingdom to build than your kingdom. God, whatever I can do, here I am. Send me. And I love this way this plays out. God just simply says, hey, I need somebody to go do something. I need to send somebody somewhere. Isaiah don't say... 
Okay, um, let me think about this. Where exactly do you want me to go? What exactly do you want me to do? Then I'll decide whether I want to do it. Instead, what does Isaiah do? He steps up and he says, Lord, hey, here, here I am, Lord. I'm, I'm right here. Would you send me? And God says, I sure will. And then He gives him the job description. And He says, here's what I want you to do. You go on, because He's been preaching to these people in chapters 1 through 5, right? He says, go on and now tell these people, keep on hearing, but don't understand it. Keep on seeing, but don't see it. He says, make the heart of this people dull. Make their eyes where they can't see. And then ultimately, in other words, here's what he said. You keep on preaching. You keep on doing what you're doing, but they're not going to hear you. They're not going to change. Nothing's going nothing's to happen. Destruction is still going to come, but you've got to preach. And then he says to him, Isaiah looks back at him and says, Lord, I love Isaiah's response. Lord, how long? How long, Lord? And you know what God told him? until the land is laid waste, until there's not an inhabitant in the land. You want me to tell you something about, you know, here's the thing about it. We, we like to serve as, um, I'm not talking about all of y'all because i got teachers in here, been teachers for years and years, but we got some people that are servants of God and they think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for a year and then I'm going to take a seven-year sabbatical. <laughs> I've actually had people tell me that. But anyway... Or they say, well, I'm going to do this for now, but you know, I need you to understand something. When you see God for who He is, and you have a heart that desires to serve Him, there is no retirement plan on this earth. I have no intention. I have no intention of ever quitting preaching. I'm going to preach until the day the Lord Jesus comes back. All right? Teachers, don't be looking for when you can quit teaching because if you're doing that, let me explain something to you. The problem is you don't see Him for who He is. There should be something in each and every one of us that when we see Him for who He is and when we recognize His glory, when we recognize His sovereignty, full control over everything, when we recognize His majesty, overwhelming greatness of who He is, when we recognize His holiness, there is no one like this King. And when we recognize His mercy that He has shown you in me, in light of all that He is, there ought to be something in you and I that we are changed completely forever. And the only thing we care about is, God, I want to serve You to my dying breath. God, I want to give myself to Your kingdom and there is no better king to give yourself to. And so my prayer to you this morning is very simple. My prayer for you this morning is very simple. Open your eyes. More important than that, God, open your eyes. That you can see Him for who He is and that everything in you changes as a result of that. That your worship from now on shakes the foundations. That your 
that your prayers from now on change because instead of God being your bellhop uh, that you, you go to when you need a few more pillows to be just a little bit more comfortable. Ain't that the way we treat God most of the time? We don't even come to Him until I need, need an extra pillow to be a little bit more comfortable. You know, we ring our little bell and say, Lord, I need you. Come on, where are you at? Why aren't you doing this for me? I mean, this is all about me, right? And instead, your prayers change to proclaiming His greatness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And Lord, give us this day our, our daily bread. We do need that. And Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. You see the way the prayer changes? The prayer changes when you see God for who He is. It's not about being self-centered. It's not about you. It's about Him. And I pray that your service changes. I pray that instead of trying to serve everything in this world, your own desires, your own needs, that you would be the just like Isaiah and you step up and you say, Lord, there is no greater place to be than in your service. So when you need somebody, here I am, send me. God says, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to, I need you to just clean some toilets. And yet some people step back and say, yeah, I can't do that. Now, let me tell you something. I'll happily clean every toilet to serve Him. I will happily teach every Sunday school to serve Him. I mean, Lord, what do you need? There, there's, and I'm not saying this boastfully because I have nothing to boast about, but there's probably not a position in this church that we haven't done in the last 20 years. Somewhere or another, we've served in every role. Why? Because I don't look at myself as I'm just a pastor or I'm just a teacher or I'm just a... Let me tell you what I am. I'm a servant. Lord, here I am. Send me. You need a volunteer? You need somebody to guide kids around through vacation Bible school? You need somebody to stand up here and read a scripture and, and say a few announcements? God, what do you need? God, what, what is it that you want? Because I know who you are and I know what, what you are. And God, there is nothing I want more than to worship you. There's nothing I want more than to serve you. There's nothing I want more than to give my life to you because there is no one and there is nothing like you. My eyes have seen the King. And because of that, everything about me has changed. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down this morning? My prayer for you this morning is simple. Open your eyes up. God, open your eyes. Lord, let them see you for who you are. And I pray that the way they live their life, the way they worship, the way they pray, the way they preach, the gospel, the way they serve, I pray that everything about them changes because of what they have seen in you. Y'all would stand this morning. We'll have a time of invitation in response to this. Maybe you just need to pray and ask God to forgive you where He's been too little in your eyes. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe this morning's a morning that you just want to thank Him for a fresh view of who He is and for, try, for, for bringing you back 
into alignment with, with the way that you should be living for Him. Uh, maybe this morning that your eyes are still blinded, you still can't really see Him, you still don't really get it, and you know it. And you just want to cry out to Him, God, I want to see You for who You are. Whatever it is that you need this morning, I pray that you would respond to what He has said to you and that you'll never be the same when you leave.